Hey, Pastor Stephen here. Welcome to the Abundant Springs podcast. If you haven't already, be sure to check us out online at AbundantSprings.Church. And now, on to this week's message. Today I have the privilege of being able to welcome on welcome onto the stage uh, my beautiful bride, Embry. And uh, she's going to be speaking to us today. And I, I know that it's going to be good because I've heard tidbits of her practicing it obsessively because she's nervous. Um, which doesn't make any sense because she's always given us great messages when she's been up here. It's always been a, a great time. But I, I believe there was something you wanted to talk about really briefly before we start your message, right? Yeah, just really quickly. Um, we have something really awesome coming up on August 1st. It's a Sunday. It's in the afternoon. And I wanted to make sure to take a minute to share it with you guys. We are doing a free community barbecue over at the Spray Park. We're bringing in some live music, a great Christian couple from Edmonton um, who's going to provide some live music for the event. But we just really, really, really want to encourage everyone to come out. Um, setup is at three. Takedown should be done by eight. If you can come for some or all of it, we're going to have matching t-shirts. It's going to be awesome, but we want to take this opportunity to show our church to Pincher Creek in a way that says, hey, it's not just Jesus that loves you. It's not just God that loves you. We all love you. We're here. We want to serve you these burgers and chips and pop and have you listen to some great music and just take this opportunity to connect with you. So, yeah. Well, and if you want a, a little tidbit of the, the, the caliber of this couple, uh, the, uh, the place that they're playing immediately before coming out here is Rogers Arena. So... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so make sure that you're coming on out. It should be a great time. Um, but uh, with that, I think that we're ready to hear from you and what the Lord's been laying on your heart. So uh, let's welcome Embry as she comes to speak to us today. Good morning. All right, so I have been given um, John 8, verses 1 to 11. And that is the story of Jesus and the adulterous woman. And I think that this story is, this passage is really important for us to understand the mercy that Jesus provides for us. Um, so I'm just going to take a quick minute here before we uh, dig in and uh, pray for us. So, um, Lord, thank you for this immense opportunity to be up here again, Lord. Thank you for uh, this passage that you're having me speak on. Thank you for the words that you've given me. And Lord, I just ask that some, something in uh, what I say or um, the Bible passages would just stick with each one of us today and that we would be able to hear you clearly through the words that I'm going to speak, Lord. Thank you so much. Amen. So starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger. So the law of Moses for this particular uh, 
instance is found in Leviticus 20.10 and it says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. So there's two things that kind of stick out to me so far in this passage and that's uh, first of all, they had to be caught in the act of adultery. So we're talking like private detective, PI level stuff. They had to be staking out this couple. You know, they would have had suspicions of what was going on and would have been waiting for them to meet up somewhere and then basically walk in on them and catch them. The other thing is that the Torah, which is the Jewish book of law, states that there has to be two witnesses uh, to bring an accusation against someone. So not only are you know, they investigating this couple and waiting to catch them, but they had to have at least two people catch them and then bring them forward for trial. The other thing that really, really sticks out to me is where is the guy? <laughs> so the law of Moses says both the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death, but they only bring the woman to Jesus. And... I think that the religious leaders are taking this opportunity to trap Jesus and they're going, hey, if we bring him this blubbering female and embarrass her in front of everyone, we're going to hit a soft spot. We're going to hit a nerve and he's going to be more likely to go, no, it's fine, let's let her go. And then we can really trap him because he's going against the law of Moses. So, I mean, that's just my personal opinion, but I know that if you've got a, a blubbering female, she's probably only half-dressed and she's in the middle of this big crowd being publicly shamed and humiliated. I mean, the gut instinct for most people is to say, okay, I think that's enough. Maybe get her, you know, a robe. Let's, let's just let her go home this time. And so I think that they were really hoping to get Jesus just in that way to make sure that he felt really good and sorry for her and wanted to show her mercy. Reading on, it says, Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. Then he bent over again and wrote some more words in the dust. The man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. With that one sentence, he leveled the playing field. All sins suddenly became equal. He addressed the fact that everyone is a sinner and broke down the ranking that one sin is worse than another. He could have said, let, let the man who's never committed adultery throw the first stone. He could have even said, let the man who's never had a lustful thought throw the first stone. But instead, it was any sinful desire, any sin. Now in, in society, and it's, it's been this way, you know, since the dawn of law and justice, um, the crime has a suitable punishment, right? Like, you don't get 20 years in prison for speeding. You don't end up on death row for robbing a convenience store. And that's the way it should be. I think that any society that has just a carte blanche punishment for any sin is, is not really a society built on justice and fairness. But for God, all sin is equal because it all does the same thing, and that's severing our connection to him. Sin is the antithesis of God. It's the complete opposite. It separates us from God because it's everything that he is not. So it doesn't matter if it's a lie or if you murder, it separates us from God. God is pure, holy, and righteous, and sin is vile and broken and evil. 
Sin is the absence of God like dark is the absence of light. They, the two cannot coexist. Reading further, upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience. And I just kind of love that, right? Like the oldest people are like, oh yeah, I've had a lot of stuff in my life, I guess I'll just go. And the younger people maybe started out a little more cocky, and they're like, well, I haven't been that bad, I'm a religious student, I'm a Pharisee, and then they're like, oh, well, there was that one time, okay, I'll go home too. Until finally, Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one here to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Jesus said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go, and from now on be free from a life of sin. In the movie Les Miserables, uh, Valjean is caught after having stolen the silver from the Bishop Muriel. And when he's brought back by the guards, the bishop says that he gave him the silver. But he's super glad that the guards brought him back because he forgot to take the expensive candlesticks. <laughs> so he gets Valjean released and then he says to him, promise me, promise that you will employ the money from this silver in becoming an honest man. Do you hear me? And I promise you that there is more joy in heaven over the face of a repentant sinner than the white silk robes of a hundred just men. If you leave here with thoughts of hatred against your fellow man, then you are worthy of pity. But if you leave with thoughts of kindness and peace, then you are more worthy than any of us. Go, my brother, for you no longer belong to evil. I bought your soul and I withdraw from it all the black thoughts and I give it to God. Because of the fact that the size of the sin doesn't matter, God needed a plan to bring us all out of the darkness of sin. So like the bishop in the movie used the silver to give Valjean a fresh start, God created the sacrificial law system to help people bridge the gap between us and himself. The problem with the sacrificial law system is that it has to be done over and over and over again. It's not a one-off. It was only ever meant to be a stopgap and not a permanent solution. So he needed a better way, and that way was Jesus. Sin broke the connection, and Jesus' death and resurrection fixed it permanently for those who are willing to accept it, and it allowed us to be covered by grace. But just as the bishop told Valjean to use this second chance to start over, it is not an excuse to keep on sinning. In the story of the adulterous woman, Jesus was the only person who was sin-free and therefore the only one who could have thrown that first stone. Instead, while Jesus didn't condemn her, he didn't condone her actions either. He didn't say she could go back to what she was doing. Instead, he gave her a fresh start to be free from the sins in her life. We're all by default headed down this road to death. And on that path, some of us find Jesus and decide to have faith in him, belief in the Bible, and put our trust in God. But Jesus isn't a hitchhiker that you pick up on your travels. You don't Tell him to hop in the back and go, cool, I've got Jesus. Let's keep on going down the same road. He's meant to turn our lives around and head us towards God and true life and away from destruction. He has a plan full of great potential for our lives. 
but that means being free of the sin, which is what Jesus does for us, and choosing not to sin, which is up to us. We're not capable of being perfect, and, and that's where a lot of grace and mercy plays in, but we are capable of having an attitude that says, I'm living for how Jesus wants me to. 1 John 3 verses 4 to 10 says it this way, Everyone who sins is breaking God's law, for all sin is contrary to the law of God. And you know that Jesus came to take away our sins, and there is no sin in him. Anyone who continues to live in him will not sin, but anyone who keeps on sinning does not know him or understand who he is. Dear children, don't let anyone deceive you about this. When people do what is right, it shows that they are righteous, even as Christ is righteous. But when people keep on sinning, it shows that they belong to the devil who has been sinning since the beginning. But the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born into God's family do not make a practice of sinning because God's life is in them. So they can't keep on sinning because they are children of God. So now we can tell who are children of God and who are children of the devil. Anyone who does not live righteously and does not love God uh, does not love other believers, does not belong to God. <laughs> I know that may sound really harsh, this idea that you may not, that you don't know Jesus. But I think that we have fallen into this trap in society where Jesus is an abstraction, but not an authority in our lives. Um, I think sometimes we like the idea of Jesus. We like that, oh, he promises grace and mercy and, and forgiveness from my sins, but then we don't apply his authority to our life and change the way that we're living. I feel like there is at least one person in this, uh, listening this morning, either in this room or online, who may have just come to the realization that nothing in their life changed with Jesus. You let Jesus into your life when what you needed to do was surrender your life to him and his authority. When we accept Jesus and when we make a decision to believe in him, we get the Holy Spirit and that Holy Spirit starts to show us things that we need to work on and, and change in our lives, those sins and those blocks that keep us from better relationship with God. And I think that there are things that God's tried to show you should not be part of your life, and you've ignored it and kept on going where you want to go. The grace of Jesus is not a blank check to do anything you want to because of his mercy and grace. And while our salvation isn't dependent on our life changing, it is a key indicator of the difference that Jesus makes in our lives. That's why we have hashtag Jesus changes everything all over our social media. But it only happens if we let him change us and we listen to him and his guiding. While, while we all mess up, at the end of the day, it's our heart attitude that God is after. So I want to ask you this. Are you trying to live like Jesus out of appreciation for his mercy? Or are you using Jesus' mercy as an excuse to do what you want? When I was much younger, um, a lady that I am very close to and love dearly finally came to understand who Jesus was. And she got saved and started going to church and started engaging in 
uh, devotions and prayer and all those things that you do when you become a new Christian. And after a little while, she started to feel like God was telling her to leave her longtime partner. This was a man that she'd been living with for years. Um, they, by societal standards, would have been considered common law. Um, they loved each other. There wasn't, you know, she wasn't looking for an out of the relationship in any way, but she felt like God was saying that living with this person was not honoring for the path that he had for her life. Now that would be like a, that would be a really hard decision. And, and she went to him and, and she said, this is what I'm feeling. This is what I have to do. I have to move out. We're not married. And he said, I will marry you. And she said, I can't marry you. You're not a Christian. He said, I will become a Christian and marry you. And she said, you can't become a Christian for me. You have to become a Christian for Jesus. And so she moved out. And through that act of obedience and faith, she started to see um, her relationship deepen and the blessings of God flow into her life. And because of her decision, this man who we also love dearly and have been praying for for many years, investigated what Jesus was all about, and he too became a Christian. And while their paths never brought them back together, they both were able to move forward in the plan that God had for their lives. But it wouldn't have happened if she hadn't been willing to be obedient to the, the pressing and the leading of the Holy Spirit. Now sometimes what God's calling us to give up aren't as big as a relationship. Sometimes it's as small as... Um, habits in our lives. It could be going over the speed limit. It could be little white lies that trickle into your everyday life. Or it could be something big. Um, drinks, movies, you name it. But if this is you this morning, if this is you realizing that God's been trying to get your attention about something in your life that's blocking your relationship and stopping you from moving forward into that deeper calling and purpose that he has for your life. I just have one thing to say to you. He loves you so much. His love for you is immeasurable. And it is never too late to let the Holy Spirit guide you onto that right path and show you what God has for your life. And it's never too late to release that sin that's been holding you back from everything that God has for you. It's never too late to turn around and follow how the Spirit is guiding you. So if that is you this morning, I'm going to take a minute and, and pray here for you in a second. Well, really, pray for all of us. I mean, who at any given moment isn't having God say, Hey, how about that thing? Want to give that up this week? Um, but if, if you're here this morning and maybe you're unfamiliar with what this even all is, uh, maybe this is your first introduction to who Jesus is or something this morning has triggered you, I'm going to pray for you too. And um, if you're ready to see what this is about, then, then we'll pray for you as well this morning. So just uh, bow your heads with me. Lord, I thank you so much that you love us where we are. I thank you so much that you found a way to reach into the darkness and pull us out of this pit of death that we're falling through. And Lord, I thank you so much that you love us enough not to leave us where we are. 
that you are constantly showing us how we can reflect you better in our lives and go against culture and show your love and your mercy and the change that you bring to our lives. Lord, I just ask this morning that you would examine each one of our hearts. I just ask that you would start to show me what thing in my life is blocking me this week that I need to work on and give over to you and let go of. And Lord, for everyone in this room, I just pray that you would give us the peace and the conviction and the determination to let go of those things this week. That we would start to come under the authority that you have in our lives. That we would stop considering you an idea or a hitchhiker in our back seat that's just along for the ride as a just-in-case, and that we would start to move you up to guide where we are going, to put you in the driver's seat, as cliche as that is, Lord, that you would show us the path that we're supposed to be on and that you would give us the strength to take it. And Lord, for those of us here this morning or watching online that... This is, the, this, is the, this is that moment. This is the moment when we pulled our car over and, and said, hop in, that you would help us turn it around, that, that these people would connect with a church that could help them. And Lord, I thank you so much for the pressing in on these people's hearts, for the decision they've made this morning. Lord, I thank you so much for each one of their hearts the work that you're doing. Help them feel the love that you have for them this morning, Jesus. That every, every change you bring us to, everything you ask us to let go is from that place of love. Lord, I just thank you so much for the people that are willing to accept that love this morning and move forward in it. Amen.